0: Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on the Sunday in the news bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. From the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 8, beginning verse 23 to the end of verse 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, and the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Well, friends, welcome back to another week here at the Christchurch Oceanside podcast. We are continuing our studies of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we're doing so in this kind of mini-series here called The Cost of Following Jesus. And this next text of Scripture kind of hits on it in a really beautiful way. So I thought we'd just keep going on that, even though it is the first Sunday of Lent. Now, what we've covered so far is Jesus saying that if you're going to follow me, it's going to change your relationship with possessions. Last week, we looked at how following Jesus changes your relationship with even your family. Now we're going to see things start to get into kind of like a, 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 a macro application. We These possession things, family things kind of deal with the micro elements of human life. But now we're going to get into some kind of universal pieces, some big pieces here with this text of Scripture. So it begins with Jesus getting into the boat. And I love this little uh, kind of tag on that Matthew throws in there. And his disciples followed him. This touches on the fact that Jesus teaching and warnings concerning the nature of their apprenticeship with him did not deter them that they heard this, and they went, you know what, Jesus is the greater treasure than pursuing after possessions. Jesus is the higher authority in my life than even my family. And they go with him. Now, here's the thing. Following Jesus doesn't promise you peace and prosperity, void of any and all calamity. And anyone that tells you otherwise is really setting you up for major disappointment and disillusionment. If you read the words of Jesus and follow the lives of his disciples, you see that following Jesus involves the opposite. But here's the key. Though following Jesus does not remove us from experiencing the brokenness and dangers of this world, it does change our relationship with it. And this text of scripture is going to do a great job of leading us to show us a bit of a showcase of how that works. So they get into the boat, they begin to cross the sea, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. Now, a good chunk of Jesus's company of disciples are skilled sailors, but big bodies of water, this sea, the ocean. These things are intense and terrifying. I think the ocean, even more so than flight, reveals to us that we are not in control. I think when we fly, we look up and we see all this space in this room and we feel possibility. When we look down into the depths of the ocean, I think what we feel is fear. There's a whole section of the website Reddit uh, called Thalassophobia, which is pictures and videos that kind of trigger the fear of large bodies of dark water. It's one of my favorites. But here's the thing about the ocean. Here's what I think it, it helps us tap into, is this understanding that there are powers at work within the world that we cannot overcome, that they are beyond us powers and elements that seem to have this ability to create disorder and confusion that makes us feel like that there's malevolent power at work within the world that can overtake us and destroy us. And we don't, we are powerless to stop it. So we have this kind of question in the back of our minds, like who will get it next? even driving on the highway has this sense of like there's so much outside of my control am i going to make it home safe murphy's famous quantum law is this anything that can could have or will go wrong is going wrong all at once <laughs> that's pretty pretty hopeless view of the world But that's, I think it taps into this idea that we all have this sense that wrong is going to happen in the world. And I may one day be a victim of it. I actually can't think about chaos or chaos theory without thinking of Dr. Ian Malcolm in the Jurassic Park movies. That's that's chaos theory. But this is a really important part actually about understanding the scriptures because the New Testament world that we're in here in the book of Matthew is coming from the ancient Near East. And so the ancient Near Eastern language and culture attributed chaos not just as an unhappy happenstance, but as actually a malevolent force at work within the world, that chaos was coming from evil powers. And the analogy that the Old Testament scriptures use to describe these powers is as supernatural beings. Specifically, they use language of behemoth and Leviathan. These show up quite significantly in the book of Job. Now, what these chaos monsters are, they're symbols, they're analogies trying to describe these otherworldly powers that humanity feels at work within the creation. Now, the behemoth is kind of this land-dwelling monster described as, you know, has shapes and um, uh, descriptions of, of like a hippo or an alligator or an ox. There's kind of all these different interpretations. But in Job... There's this one section after Job and his friends have all kind of said their peace. Then there's God's address to Job. And it spans a few chapters. But in it, we get these summaries of these chaos monsters from the mouth of God. So here's how he talks about behemoth in Job chapter 40, beginning verse 15. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength in his loins, and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play under the lotus plants he lies in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh for his shade the lotus tree cover him the willows of the brook surround him behold if the river the river is turbulent he is not frightened he is confident though jordan rushes against his mouth can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare This behemoth figure really captures the feeling that one would get when crossing the Jordan River. Just this fear of powers beyond your control pulling you down and destroying you. And the way God talks of it here is that these powers at work within the world, man does not stand a chance against. They can't overpower behemoth. They can't resist behemoth's strength. If behemoth comes for you, you have no hope. Leviathan also is described, though, as like a sea monster. And we hear about him in God's address in Job 41. And in that address, he's described as this monster with teeth filled around with terror. His back is made of rows of shields and out of his mouth go flaming torches and sparks of fire. His heart is hard as a stone, hard as the lower millstone. And when he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. That the Leviathan, even when he swims in the oceans, makes the deep boil like a pot. And behind him, he leaves a shining wake. Now, it's interesting when God talks about both behemoth and Leviathan, because he almost enjoys them, wonders at the creation of them. But also there's this kind of underlying theme that comes out by the end of Job that these chaos monsters are needing to be dealt with, that because of the broken state of the world and sinfulness, there's this sense that God is actually going to deal with them. Now, this is the language and, and imagery that continues through the New Testament and the book of Revelation when talking about Satan. The language that we get used in the New Testament is that of a dragon, right, in the book of Revelation. But this imagery of sea monsters and storms and chaos and destruction of which man cannot even conceive of over. Coming or defending itself against is in the minds of the disciples every time that they go out to sea. These are the scriptures that they've grown up on, and the scriptures that come to mind every time that they go out and face potential calamity at the hands of waves and wind and rain. So here's our context: is for the disciples there in the midst of Leviathan's kind of roar, to use the analogy. And they're on the edge of death. And what do we see is it says that in the midst of all of this, Jesus was asleep. Jesus is asleep because he is unbothered by Leviathan. He's unafraid of chaos. So much so that Jesus is sleeping in Leviathan's lair, you could say. After arduous teaching and ministry and healings and exorcism and crowds, Jesus crawls into the bosom of Leviathan to sleep. Now, this is not the case for the disciples. It's fair to say that even for these experienced fishermen, Leviathan's bosom is not a place of great comfort or confidence for them. So what do they do? It says, they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Waking him is the right response. We cannot fault them for this. They even ask with faith, save us, Lord, as though they believe he has the power to do so. And I think their assessment of the, of the danger seems pretty legitimate. The boat is being swamped by the waves, like it's actually happening. But in that moment, Jesus actually still questions them. Why? Here's what he says. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Look, it's not that these guys have no faith. They've had faith enough to go with him, to leave their, their businesses and even their families behind in order to be with Jesus. They just don't know what to have faith in about Jesus for this situation. The situation is exposing the ceiling of their faith. And Jesus is now challenging that ceiling. What we could say as well is that Jesus is inviting them to raise their faith. Because what they're processing is, this situation is beyond me. What are we going to do? Disaster is unavoidable now as we are in the clutches of chaos. The disciples can see the strength of that power and they can feel the threat that it poses. And then they can see that Jesus is with them. What they do not see, though, is all of who Jesus is. The next line is this. Then Jesus says he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So here's the beauty of this moment. They come to Jesus rightly with the little bit of faith that they have, but they're still freaking out. Like they're afraid of what's happening. Then what we see is Jesus's response. And there's three key movements in this sentence that I think are going to be important. The first is this. It says, Jesus, then he rose. These are moments when Jesus's divinity are unveiled beyond his flesh, where he allows his full self to be witnessed as he stands up and against the chaos. So there's this unveiling that takes place, and that's kind of the the Christmas hymn. That his divinity has been veiled by flesh or hidden by flesh. Now in this moment, we're seeing it fully expressed in the fact that he can stand up against the storm. He can stand up against the chaos. He is the one who created Leviathan and Behemoth and the winds and the waters and the waves. All of these things are his because he is God. So that's the first key movement that we see. The second is this, that Jesus then rebuked the winds and the sea. Here he reveals the authority he has to judge both the power of evil and the creation's and its dysfunctions itself. He expresses his sharp disapproval and criticism of it, as it rages against God's boundaries, where it even seeks to overtake him, he stands up in his place and rebukes it. God is not in agreement with chaos. God's purpose in Christ is to judge and destroy it. That's the whole end of the gospel. Eric Ortland, brilliant Old Testament scholar, he wrote a great book that I read this summer on called Piercing Leviathan. He summarizes it this way, that even though evil such as this exists, it is held within strict boundaries and will one day be eradicated by God in such a way as to scour evil from the creation. This is what Jesus is foreshadowing in this moment. He's standing up in the face of Leviathan and going, Stop! Enough! You have no power over me and thus over my disciples. The third thing that we see in Jesus' response here is that the result, there was a great calm that comes over the wind, the seas, and the waves. When God is fully revealed in Jesus, we see his full and complete authority. We see his ability to always triumph over evil. And we see his ability to bring about peace. With the same ease in which he cast out the oppressive spirits with a word in the verses that we'd studied in the previous weeks, we now see... Jesus silences chaos with just a word. He tames the seas with just a word. What's the response of the disciples going to be to that? And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? They're wrestling with the right thing here. Because what they're wrestling with is the identity of Jesus. Who and what is he? Who do I believe that he is? What sort of man is this? And the answer is the God man. So, for us as followers of Jesus, then we have to come back to this original understanding that Jesus never promises that following him will result in a life of ease or escape from the impacts of the real presence of chaos and evil at work within the world. What he does promise us is that they cannot threaten his will. And instead, Jesus will use the situation to firstly reveal himself, to deepen our confidence in his salvation, and to develop our faith. So that changes the way we relate with seeming chaotic circumstances or calamity or hardship or suffering. It's we're not seeing Leviathan or behemoth primarily at work in the midst of it and should be fearful. What we should see is, I followed Jesus into this moment. And Jesus is still in charge, no matter how bad this gets. And Jesus wants to reveal himself to me in the midst of this moment, that I might see him, that my ceiling, my understanding of him would grow, would strengthen, that my personal trust in him would deepen, that I would know the saving power of his work and of his presence in this moment. And that it would develop my faith, that I, I want to grow into greater and greater faith, where I'm unfazed by hardship, where I'm where I don't find myself in deep doubt in the midst of suffering. That when faced with calamity or chaos or evil at work within the world, when it seems so overwhelming, that I would have a clear vision of Jesus. And that I would hold to him above all other things. This is what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. It's to see that he is Lord even over chaos. That he's not in agreement with it. He's rebuking it. And that one day he will do away with it completely. That he will destroy and ruin evil forever and that we would enjoy a life with him that is free of this thing, of these things but it's not yet so we pray that day would come but what we want to do as true followers of Jesus is go i want to have the right view of these circumstances to go ah oh, leviathan's raising his, his terrifying head again but i'm with jesus jesus is lord over this moment Nothing will thwart his will in my life. And I can trust in him always to do the work that he says that he's going to do. That he will grow my faith. And even if this storm takes me to the depths of the ocean, where I die, Christ will not leave me or abandon me. That this is just a gate to the life to come of a world where evil is defeated and Christ reigns supreme. This, my friends, is the way of Jesus in the face of Leviathan and Behemoth and the storms that they churn. Amen.